I'm Kim Smith, and this is Understanding Dyslexia, where I break down dyslexia and related issues. On today's episode, we'll be discussing assessment. Join me as I walk you through the assessment process and how the determination of dyslexia is made. Welcome and thank you for joining me. I want to also thank those listeners out there who gave our first episode a listen. If this is your first time joining us, I'd like to urge you to give our first episode a try. We discussed the basics of dyslexia in that episode. In today's episode, we're going to talk about dyslexia assessment. I will discuss the pathways to identification and what happens during the assessment as well as how a decision is made. But before I get into that, I want to take a quick moment to answer a parent question. I had an email from a parent that says, can you send a list of resources to get extra reading time in, preferably where it reads the book to them, but also shows the words as it goes? And how many minutes would you recommend for reading each night? So let me answer the first part of that question first. There are lots of companies out there that offer these types of options, but they're not usually free. So some of the ones that I do know of are Mackin VIA, Tumblebooks, which really only offers ebooks without audio ed- on the larger chapter books, Bookshare, and Learning Ally. My me- recommendation would be to check with your students' teachers, the librarians or campus administrators, to find out if they have memberships or subscriptions to these sites already, because then if they do, the students should be able to access them for free. I don't know about your district, but I do know in our district, librarians have links to these already on their school uh, website page. And other options you can look into are YouTube. I do know that there are quite a few books out there that are read with the pages in front of you on the YouTube video, but I just caution parents, especially of younger children, that some less than favorable options may autoplay after your book, um, and the child could potentially access things you don't want them to, but it is an option. Kindle does offer some ebook editions with audio, so that's something to look into. Speechify is an extension that you can get for Google Chrome that will turn text to speech. It's free to try for seven days, but is $7.99 after that, or at least uh, when I looked it up, it was $7.99. But uh, because it's a paid extension, it may be blocked by your, your child's device provided by the school. So that may be something to look into for a device that you own, a computer, an iPad, those types of things, because more than likely your school district is not going to allow that to be added to the the school provided device. Immersive Reader is a Microsoft application that will read text on the page. It also has some other features like being able to change the background color and change the text size. And there is a free Chrome extension for it called Using Immersive Reader on Websites. So it's generally something that's added into Microsoft products. So if you have the Office Suite and your computer, then you can have access to that through OneNote. Um, I think it's in Word. It's in a bunch of different other applications in there, but something to look at. As for the second question, so the general recommendation for reading at home is 20 minutes. For our struggling readers, though, there are other 
considerations to factor in. So 20 minutes may be too long for a student who hasn't built up the stamina yet. So I would recommend kind of, you know, hearing how your child is reading and start small and give them shorter time span to read or read with them and allow them to read a smaller portion of the text then slowly build up to 20 minutes or build up to where they're reading more of it during that time and you kind of take a back seat a little bit more. If it's feeling like a chore or they're getting stressed out by it, walk it back a little bit. Make sure also to check the materials that they're reading. If the reading material is too hard for them, then it likely won't be an enjoyable experience. So 20 minutes spent reading easier books is much more beneficial to them than 20 minutes spent laboring over words on the page. So one thing that I do want to stress is the importance of reading to your child, even older children, because we never really lose our love of being read read to. And I mean, if that was true, then audiobooks would not be as popular as they are. So let's get into it. Assessment begins with the referral process. So referrals can be initiated by the campus teachers or the student's parent or guardian at any point when dyslexia is suspected. So this could be based on observations at home or in the classroom. It could be based on knowledge of a family history of reading difficulty or screening results. So once a referral is initiated, the parent is given notice of the intent to assess the student. Um, The school also provides the parents with a copy of their procedural rights and safeguards. And the parents then either provide or deny consent for testing. If consent is given, the assessment has to be completed within a given time frame. In Texas, the assessment and report must be completed within 45 school days. In other areas, that timeline may be different. In the state of Texas, we used to have a two-pronged approach to the referral process. The assessments could happen either through the Section 504 assessment process, which is a set of laws that provide for the support of students with disabilities in the general education setting, or assessment could happen through the Individuals with Disabilities Act or IDEA. IDEA is a different set of laws that also protect students with disabilities, but in this case, the services are provided through special education. The end goal is the same, though, for both 504 and IDEA, and that's to protect and support our students with disabilities so they can thrive in the school setting. So there are a few problems with deciding which path to take before assessment. So this two-pronged approach has some problems. One is that... It kind of puts the cart before the horse by assuming that the student will need one or the other track for services before knowing the results of the assessment. In short, we're making a determination on the level of support we need before we know what the level is or the cause of the difficulty. Another concern is that by looking just at dyslexia, as you would under a 504 assessment, you could be missing other disabilities that could be happening at the same time in that student and that that student would then be eligible for services to to help them with those difficulties. So 504 and IDEA also have different rights and safeguards for the parents and students involved. Recent changes to the legislation in Texas have changed that approach to a single path for referral through IDEA. And that's a good thing. Under IDEA, a full individual initial evaluation is conducted, and that means that we look at the child as a whole to ensure that there aren't other disabilities present or that the difficulties the student's experiencing aren't due to something other than dyslexia. 
which is a much more streamlined process. And it's how assessments are done generally in other areas. So this brings Texas on board with that and the rest of the dyslexia assessment world. So once the assessment is complete, a meeting is held. Some places refer to these as IEP meetings uh, or individual education plan meetings, and others call it an ARD meeting, an annual review and dismissal. Regardless of the name, the process is the same. The parent and the student, um, depending on their age, student may attend Uh, along with representatives from the administration, faculty, assessment, special programs, all meet to discuss the results of the assessment and its implications. So basically, anyone who works with the student or has a vested interest in the student's education will be at this meeting. Once the assessment results are discussed, a plan is developed to help support the student. So it's at this point that the decision to provide services through 504 or IDEA, IDEA again is special education, this is the point at which that decision is made and it's guided by whether or not the student requires specialized instruction. And we can't figure that out until we know the results of the assessment and look at the entire child. All right, so what happens in the assessment? The assessment can be conducted by anyone who is trained in the assessment tools being used, understands the implications of the assessment results, and is trained to interpret them. In most cases, this is going to be done by a diagnostician, but it can be completed as a collaborative effort by trained dyslexia personnel and the diagnostician. The diagnostician will conduct cognitive assessments as well as academic achievement tests. A trained dyslexia specialist or interventionist may test areas like phonological processing, listening comprehension, reading words, decoding, reading fluency, spelling, reading comprehension, written expression, and handwriting. So for example, in our school district, the assessments are done as a collaborative effort between me and the diagnostician. I conduct testing in the areas that I just mentioned, and the diagnostician tests the cognitive areas as well as any other achievement areas that I didn't assess like math. I turn over my testing results to the diagnostician with my interpretation of the results, and then they take that information along with their testing results and information from teachers, parents, educational records, any other important information, and develop a diagnosis for that student. They will look at patterns of strengths and weaknesses in cognitive and achievement assessments and then determine if a specific learning disability exists or if multiple learning disabilities exist. A learning disability in basic reading skills or reading fluency can indicate dyslexia. So how do we know if it's dyslexia? So like I just said, basic reading skills deficits, a reading fluency deficit can indicate dyslexia. But we also look at these we call guiding questions. So they're based on the definition of dyslexia. So the first question that we answer is, does the student exhibit characteristics of dyslexia, which are reading words in isolation? So if they're having difficulty reading lists of words without any sentences or other information to help them figure out the word, do they have difficulty with decoding? Meaning, can they rely on their knowledge of letter sounds and spelling patterns to read words? Their reading fluency, which is how quickly and accurately they read. And it also includes what we call prosody, which is their inflection and how their voice goes up and down as they read. And does it sound like natural speech. We look at spelling, reading comprehension, and written expressions, which is how well they're able to get their ideas out on paper. So the next question then is, is there a phonological component to their difficulties? 
phonology is the sound component of language. So phonological processing is how our brains interpret, recognize, store, retrieve, and manipulate the sounds of language. I generally use the CTOP or the Comprehensive Test of Phonological Processing for this. So in that test, we look at phonemic awareness, which is the ability to identify and manipulate the phonemes or individual sounds in spoken words, phonological memory, which is the ability to hold information about letters, numbers, sounds, and words in short-term memory, just long enough to process it, use it, and then store it into long-term memory. And we also look at rapid automatic naming, also heard that referred to as rapid autonomic naming, which just means that they have an ability to see a stimulus like a letter or a number and quickly and accurately pull up the name associated with it without like having to really think about it. Deficits in these phonological processing areas can give us clues as to why a student might be having difficulty with reading or writing. And if you think about it, it makes sense. If they're having difficulty identifying and separating out the individual sounds in a word, that's going to impact their ability to figure words out and be able to accurately spell them. Difficulty with phonological memory can cause students to struggle to learn new words and sounds. It can impact their ability to to spell and learn spelling patterns correctly. So because they can't hold it in their memory long enough to do something with that information, it can also impact their ability to sound outwards. So by the time they say the sound for the word, they've forgotten what the sounds were at the beginning. It can also impact their reading comprehension because as they read, they're not keeping the information in their brains long enough to process what that passage means. So If they're not able to quickly and accurately recall letters and words, that can impact their reading rate and accuracy. The last guiding question is whether or not the difficulty is unexpected in relation to other skills. We look to make sure that the student has what we call adequate cognition, meaning that the student has the ability to learn new information. And I usually look at listening comprehension first to determine unexpectedness because it tells us how they're able to comprehend in the absence of print. Students with dyslexia are often stronger in listening comprehension than reading comprehension. And it's important to note, though, that it's not always the case because you can have listening comprehension deficits as well as dyslexia. But in general, listening comprehension is usually a stronger skill for these students. And so when we're testing, if we find that it's a strength for that student, then we've established unexpectedness. If it's a weakness, then we dig deeper and we see what other evidence we have of unexpectedness. We can look at things like overall cognitive profiles, if we have that information, or we can look at their oral expression skills, so how well they're able to just speak and have their thoughts and ideas spoken. We also can look at their vocabulary knowledge and we can look at other academic skills in comparison to their areas that they're having difficulty in. So if we have good, strong skills in these areas, we can say that the reading or writing difficulty is unexpected because you would expect that they would be able to perform similarly in all areas. But for some reason, their reading and writing skills just stand out in comparison. So if we can determine that the student is exhibiting characteristics of dyslexia, that there is a phonological component to the difficulty or that there is a history of phonological difficulty and the 
reading and writing difficulties are unexpected in comparison to other skill areas, then we can say that the student meets the diagnosis criteria for dyslexia. So we want to make sure that during the assessment, we take the entire child into consideration. We'll consider the family's history. So if there is a history of dyslexia in the family or other learning difficulties, that student can be at greater risk for dyslexia. Having attention deficit can also increase the likelihood of having dyslexia, which my take on that is that they both involve difficulty with short-term memory skills, so it kind of makes sense that there could be a connection between the two. We also look at whether or not the student has been identified as being at risk for reading difficulty on kindergarten and first grade reading screens. So if there's a history of previous difficulties on those screenings, then they're at higher risk for dyslexia as well. And of course, we need to rule out things like hearing and vision. So if a child's having difficulty with reading, but they're not hearing well, difficulty with hearing could definitely impact your ability to learn letter sounds and and words and things like that. And if they're having difficulty with their vision, we need to rule that out. Also, if they can't see, then they're going to have difficulty with reading. We also look at, you know, whether or not there's a language difference. And so if their language acquisition is coming into question, then chances are it's not truly a reading difficulty, it's a language difficulty, which of course you can be dyslexic and speak other languages, but we want to make sure that we look at that. And like I said, look at the child as a whole, because that definitely could play into their difficulties. We also take a look at whether or not they've had excessive absences, because if they're not at school and they're not learning those skills, then they are going to struggle. And so it may not be dyslexia. It may just be that they have missed instruction and they have gaps. So once we can rule all of that out, we can then say that the child has dyslexia and that the difficulties that they're having are not caused by something else. Then once all of this information is compiled and a diagnosis of dyslexia is made, we can then determine the level of support that the student needs to be successful and whether that student requires services under 504, which again is accommodations and support in the general education setting, or if that student requires specialized instruction through special education. I think it's important to note that when you give consent for an assessment through IDEA, which, as you recall, is a full individual initial evaluation through special education, that this does not mean that you are consenting to place your child in special education services. It's just an assessment. The decision regarding the path for services happens once the assessment is complete and the level of support is agreed upon by the IEP or ARD committee. So, That's important to keep in mind. Giving your consent to assessment, again, does not mean that you're consenting to place your child in special education services. It just means that you're allowing the school district to conduct assessments to find out what is behind the difficulties that they're having. So that's it for today. I hope you found the information helpful. Please join me next time when I'll be discussing effective strategies for students with dyslexia.